This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in, turn to First uh, Peter chapter two, and we'll begin in verse four today. First Peter chapter two. Um, as we've been going through First Peter. Um, One of the things that I hope you've noticed is sometimes um, Peter is talking about what God has done in Jesus Christ. And then sometimes he's talking about how we're to live in response to what God has done. So he's told us that we have been saved by all three members of the Trinity. The Father planned our salvation. The uh, Spirit applied our salvation to us, and the the, the Son has uh, sprinkled us with His blood, and we've been saved for Jesus, right? Um, He has um, caused us to be born again, right? He has um, uh, a future held for us, uh, a a hope that uh, will never pass away. Those are all the things that God has done in Christ for us, And those things cause us to praise Him. And then there's other things that He calls us to do in response to that. You know, He's called us to be holy. He's called us to um, fear God. He's caused He's uh, calls us to love one another. Uh, He calls us to do all those things on the basis of what He's already done. Now, today we're looking at another passage that's one of these. What God has done, what He has done, who Jesus is, and what He's made us into being. Uh, I love those parts. I love those parts because it, I think those things are the things that cause us to praise Him all the more. Um, when we think on what God has done for us in Jesus. Um, today, we're looking at how Jesus is the living stone. We're going to talk about what that means. And and how he's put us together as believers into churches that would be living um, basically temples. So we're going to go ahead and and read our text beginning in verse 4 of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the, uh, are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for um, this day to come and worship you. And Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey this morning. Lord, help us, feed us on your word. Give us strength, give us courage, comfort us in our weakness as we think about the miraculous, amazing things that you have done by your Son. Father, give me strength and grace as I preach your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first words of this text say, as you come to him, as you come to him, it just uses there a pronoun. Who is he talking about? As you come to him. So we actually have to kind of back up to the last verse, the antecedent to that pronoun for anybody who uh, is a grammar um, nerd like me. (laughs) The, the, The person that that him is referring to is told in the last verse, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The Lord is the Him. And the Lord there that it's referring to is quoting from an Old Testament text or referring to an Old Testament text. The Old Testament text said that if indeed, you know, um, taste and see that the Lord is good. And whenever it said the Lord... It was Yahweh in the Old Testament text. It was Yahweh. If you have indeed tasted that the Lord, that Yahweh is good. And then it tells us here in the next verse, as you come to him, that is to Yahweh, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Who is rejected by men? Jesus. So, Here is an evidence right here in 1 Peter that Jesus is the Lord, is the God of the Old Testament, that Jesus is God. And there are other uh, other religions and cults that that, uh, deny Jesus' deity, such as uh, um, Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that that, that Jesus was just maybe the highest creation uh, that he uh, was was a brother to Satan. Okay, these, these are th- no. That's the Mormons that believe that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, that that uh, Jesus was just the highest creation. That that uh, God made everything through him, but he wasn't God himself. No, this text identifies Jesus as the Lord. If you come to him, the Lord. A living stone rejected by men. Jesus was rejected by men. So, right there, if you have conversations with those who don't believe that Jesus was God, you can point them to this text. Um, so, what does it say about Jesus here? He was a living stone rejected by men. 
This refers back to an Old Testament prophecy that we'll read down below. In fact, I'll go ahead and read it now. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's the stone that they're talking about. Jesus is that fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is that living stone, that, that stone in Zion, in which whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He was um, rejected by men, but he's chosen and precious in God's sight. That's Jesus, although he was rejected by men. We live in a hostile world, right? And Jesus lived in a world when he came among us that was hostile to him. And the world rejected him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He was rejected by men, but he was chosen in God's sight. He was just the right one. He was perfect. He was precious in God's sight. Notice the difference between God's um, evaluation of things and the world's evaluation of things. The world looks at Jesus and says, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But in God's estimation, Jesus is chosen and precious. And in our estimation, if we've been born again, if we've trusted in Christ, then he is chosen and precious in our sight. We have the same perspective and the same evaluation of Jesus as the Lord does. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What he says about Jesus, he then applies to believers. We're like Jesus. Jesus is this living stone, and we're all living stones. Believers, if you've trusted in Christ, he's applying this analogy to you. We are being built up into a spiritual house. We're like living stones. What did the world do to the living stone, the the stone that the Lord laid in Zion? They rejected Him. And we ourselves are just like Jesus here. When the world looks at us, the world rejects us as well. The fact that this that the scriptures apply the same analogy here both both to Jesus and to us identifies us with him. We are identified with our Lord. We are his body. Just like whenever Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his words were Saul, Saul, why did you why are you persecuting me? Paul wasn't chasing around the risen Jesus. Paul was chasing around Christians. But Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies with his body. Jesus identifies with believers. And when Christians are persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. And so when the world has rejected Jesus, we should expect it to reject us as well because we are, like Jesus, living stones. And it says we are being built up 
We're being built up into a spiritual house. In the Old Testament, we had the tabernacle first, and then the temple when it was built. And we know that that was something that I believe was to point to a greater reality. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. No longer any need for a temple physically because we are the temple. Jesus said, you destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He was talking about himself. Jesus was the temple, but also the scripture talks about believers. We are. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul says in Corinthians. He tells us that... um, And uh, Peter here is making reference to the same reality. Believers are living stones. Each individual Christian is a living stone and we're being built together into a spiritual house. Believers, as we congregate together as churches, are the new temple. We are the new temple being built up as a spiritual house, as as a holy priesthood. He's using two different analogies to describe believers. We're both the temple and the priesthood. (laughs) Amen? Um, And when he says holy priesthood, he's not talking about the clergy. He's not talking about religious professionals. He's talking about every believer. Every person who has trusted in Christ, every person who has been born again, if you have the Spirit dwelling in you, you're a holy priest. And he's called, and he doesn't just say holy priest, he says a holy priesthood. There's a corporate dimension here. It's not about just me and Jesus on my own, it's about living together in a community, in a church. A holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifice. Oh, and what does a priest do? A priest is one who stands as a representative between God and man, right? Well, Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one who uh, is interceding before the Father for us. But we work as a holy priesthood calling on other people to trust in Jesus. Our holy priesthood function as believers is the function of evangelism. We're sharing the gospel. We're, we're, pro, we're proclaiming, as it says later in the text, His excellencies, the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into His light. That's what we're doing when we're exercising this holy priesthood. We are proclaiming His excellencies to draw others in to believe in Him, to call on people to repent of their sins and trust in Him. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, remember, there was the sacrificial system and people would bring animals. They would bring calves and lambs and rams and doves and all kinds of things to sacrifice day after day. Year after year. Bloody. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the once for all sacrifice. We don't have to go to a temple and and offer physical bloody sacrifices anymore. 
the blood, the, the, the last and the most final and the, and the, if the um, sufficient sacrifice was given when Jesus died on the cross for us. He was the sacrifice that paid for all of our sins and the sins of the whole world. Any sins that would ever be forgiven in the whole world were paid for by Jesus. So what are these sacrifices that we offer? They're not an animal. These sacrifices we offer are spiritual sacrifices. And what I think of here is Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is where it tells us, be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your minds. And I can't remember exactly how the rest of it goes, but it it does tell us um, that we are to offer Um, ourselves, our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Here, um, I, I, I think these spiritual sacrifices, we offer ourselves, which I think extends the analogy here. The living stones that he's called us, we're the temple. He's called us to be a holy priesthood. So we're also the priests. And he also says we offer, living, offer spiritual sacrifices, which I think is the living sacrifice we offer ourselves. And it's holy and acceptable. It's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Any sacrifice that we give is only acceptable because of what Jesus did. Anything we try to offer God on our own apart from the sacrifice of Jesus is just more wickedness. If we try to offer God our own works on our own uh, strength apart from the new birth, apart from being washed clean by Jesus, then our righteousness is as filthy rags. If we are to offer sacrifices to God that are acceptable to Him, it can only be through Jesus. Through Jesus, as it says at the end of verse 4. Then it says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes on Him will not be put put to shame. We've already kind of talked about this a little bit. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. He is is that part of the building that is the foundation upon which everything else uh, relies. And that stone that that the Lord laid, it tells us here, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. How do you get to be a part of of this um, spiritual house? How do you get to be a part of this holy priesthood? It's only by believing on Jesus, believing on Him, believing on that living stone. And He tells us here, He won't cast anyone out. If you look to Jesus right now, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, If you look to Him, if you believe on Him, you will not be put to shame. Believers, your shame has been taken away. 
Every one of us. We can think about things we've done that we don't feel good about. Every, every one of us can think about things that we feel shameful about what we've done. And if other people in this room knew the things that we've done, we feel like they wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. But whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. He already knows everything we've ever done. He knows the hidden secrets of our hearts. He knows everything that we have ever done. Nothing can be hidden from Him. But if we believe on Jesus, if we believe on the stone that Jesus, that the Lord has laid in Zion, then we will never be put to shame. Our shame has been taken away. Boy, that's something we can praise God about. Amen? Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. The honor there, I think, is uh, kind of a vindication. We're, we, and it's, and it's uh, in contrast to shame. If we believed on Him, we're going to experience honor instead of shame. Our shame is taken away and we have honor. Those are kind of contrasting ideas. But... For those who do not believe, and here's the warning. For those who do not believe, whether there's anyone in this room, or whether it's those that we meet outside of the door, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Those who do not believe are those who reject the cornerstone. Those who reject the stone. Verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. These are Old Testament passages that tell us what the unbelieving world is going to do to Jesus. That was... The people in Jesus' day, when they saw Jesus and they saw a blasphemer, when they looked at Jesus and the Greek world hearing the preaching of the gospel would say, oh, that's foolishness. It's foolishness to men. But to us, to those who believe, it's like the previous verse said, chosen and precious. It is life. It gives us life. And whether that's today, the unbelieving world that's out there, the unbelie- those who don't believe, they stumble over Jesus. They feel the same way about Jesus as the Greeks did and as Paul wrote about to the Corinthians. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us, it's the wisdom of God. They stumble because they did not obey the Word. Here, it wasn't something that they were just ignorant about. It wasn't something that was just an accident that they stumbled. It was because of they disobeyed the Word. It, they, they, it was deliberate. And the unbelieving world, they don't reject Jesus it's just on accident. They don't reject Jesus simply 
they deliberately reject him. They don't want to have anything to do. They might hear the gospel and think, ah, how could that be? That's how the unbelieving world responds to Jesus. They stumble because they do not, or because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is a scary verse. This is a verse we'd probably rather, uh, a little phrase here at the end of the verse that we'd probably rather get rid of. (laughs) As they were destined to do. I think it's similar to what we see in verse one, in chapter one, uh, at the very beginning, whenever it says, "To those who are the elect exiles." Again, anytime we hear that word "election," elect, although it's in the Bible, we don't like to. We don't like that. We don't like to think about God having having certain elect. But here, he mentioned it in verse one. He mentioned it here on the other side. The unbelieving world, those who die in rebellion, those who die uh, not having believed in Jesus, they do so because they were destined to do so. Now, maybe something that might take a little bit off of the bite of that. We were all destined for hell. But God came and chose us and pulled us out and rescued us from that. In contrast to to the unbelievers who did not obey the word and who are destined to do that, verse 9, but you, (laughs) but you, you're not a part of those who were rejecting Jesus. You are a chosen race. Here's that word again, chosen. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Notice something. All of those words that Peter is heaping up, one on top of the other, these phrases, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, are terms that God used in the Old Testament for Israel. That was God's intention for Israel. He wanted to make them a chosen race. His chosen people. A holy priesthood. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. But they did not obey. They did not obey. They didn't have the Spirit within them. They were governed by the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We are now, as believers, Jew and Gentile together. A chosen race. We are, if, if, if we've been born again, if we've trusted in Christ, then He has made us into what His plan was for Israel. He's made us a chosen race. Singular. A chosen race. Here again, um, this is one reason why the gospel is antithetical to racism. Red, yellow, black, and white. 
We're all precious in His sight, right? Jew, Gentile, one race. Black and white, one race in Jesus. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We sing America the Beautiful this morning. But the holy nation we're talking about here is not America. It's believers. It's the church triumphant. America may, in God's wisdom, in His grace, you know, God shed His grace on thee. I, I hope that America lasts a long time, but if it doesn't, if, if America fell apart, we still have a holy nation that we're citizens of. And our nation, this holy nation as believers, has no borders. <laughs> it's everywhere. We have brothers and sisters that are part of this holy race, this chosen race. Uh, we have brothers and sisters in Africa, in Europe, in Italy, in Germany, in England, in uh, Sudan, in China, in Brazil, and all over the world who are a part of this chosen race, this holy nation. A people for His own possession. God has chosen us for Himself. We are precious to Him. We're His. We belong to Him. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Here, He tells us why He has done that for us. Why did God... Take us in our sin, in our failures, save us and make us into these things so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. His purpose for saving us again here is evangelism. It's so that we would proclaim... It. Well, it's two things. It's evangelism and it's worship. When we gather to worship every Sunday morning, we're proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We were all in darkness before we came to know Him. We were all lost and destined for hell. And He plucked us out of this. He called us out of darkness and transferred us into light. And we proclaim His excellencies. We proclaim it when we worship and we proclaim it when we evangelize and we tell others the Gospel and say, God can do that for you too if you only believe. He won't turn you away. And then finally here, once you, this is who Peter's writing to, I think it applies to us as well. He's talking to believers. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There is a dividing line. 
When we are saved, when we're born again, we go from one reality to another. Once we were not God's people. Once we were His enemies. Once we were rebels shaking our fists at God. And He chose to grab us, pluck us out of that old world, and put us into a new reality. He has changed us. And now we are God's people. Now we have received mercy. And something that I think makes this even more intense is this is a reference, I think, to Hosea. You know the story of Hosea? Hosea was a prophet. God told him to go and marry a woman of harlotry. And he did, and he had two children with her. Their names were Loami and Lo-Ruchamah. Loami means not my people. Can you imagine being named that? And Lo-Ruchamah means no mercy, or no compassion. Once we were not a people, once we had received no mercy, once we were like Hosea's children, once we were like the illegitimate children of a prostitute, but now we are God's people. Once we were not, now we are. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. All of this should cause us to praise Him. Jesus is the living stone, God's chosen one, rejected by men, And He has saved us. He's made us into a people. He has shaped us into a building. He's given us a mission to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Isn't He great? We need to praise Him.